Podcast by Proxy is proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. BetterHelp is the online therapy service that has served over 3 million people worldwide and is available to consumers in Canada. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. I know for myself, starting therapy really helped me understand myself better and why I react to certain things the way I do. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding. Personally, therapy gave me new tools to help deal with my anxiety in my everyday life. BetterHelp connects you with a therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash proxy. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash proxy. Hi, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. You figure out a different one all the time. I know. I started to get creative with it. I have to have fun with something. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Well, hello. Welcome. Hi. How's it going? Uh, good. Good. I think we should just start out with what we were just talking about real quick. And like a quick thank you to the two people who corrected that Terradale and Falcon Ridge are not small towns. (laughs) They're more like communities, municipalities, maybe neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah, I think they're more like, uh, yeah, little mini like communities. Like little mini communities within Calgary, it sounds like. Yeah. I Apparently, they're communities within the northeast quadrant of Calgary. Yeah. According to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. You know, here's the thing. We don't live anywhere that's big enough to have communities within it because it's just a community. So sometimes we can't wrap our heads around that. But thank you so much for correcting us. Sometimes we make mistakes. Watch now someone on the island's going to be like, we have communities. <laughs> I mean, we do. Victoria is obviously like big enough for that. I just mean like specifically yeah, but- where our little towns, we don't. And we like to... No make jokes about how we live in small towns so it's just part of it's part of the gab you know it is it is small town but yeah people. no thank you for correcting us and also thank you for being so kind people aren't always yeah, kind very when nice. podcasters make mistakes and i find our listeners if we do make a mistake and we're corrected are usually pretty nice about it and we really appreciate that because we're just humans oh, without a doubt we're just we're just chilling we do our best yeah, and the only reason why we're not saying your guys' names is because you didn't specifically say if we could, so. Yeah, we usually will ask you permission know who you are. if we're going to say somebody's name, but there was a few of you, so thank you for correcting that. Um, no small towns, just communities. Just communities. <laughs> Those dang communities. Um, but I am quite looking forward to today's story. I actually, I pre-wrote this, so I've been sitting on this episode for a while and I've been really looking forward to recording it. It's really interesting. I learned so much and, and I had such an interesting time researching it. So I hope that everybody else, um, finds it as interesting as me, if you will. Um, and we actually kind of tie it into a story that we've covered in the last year. Um, so that's neat too. But we are going all the way back to 1911. Uh, but before we start that, do you have anything off the top that you would like to chit chat about? Mm, I don't think so. We're recording like pretty close to when we recorded last time just because yeah. I have a wedding this weekend. So we had to get it done. So probably don't have that much but Mm, I don't think I have anything because since we recorded last I've just worked you've just worked just worked (laughs) so nothing exciting yeah that's very fair okay well we can just get right into it then 
Uh, so like I said, we're going back all the way to 1911, the 1911 murder trial of Angelina Napolitano was one of the most famous criminal trials in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario history, and the first time that domestic violence was ever used as a defense in a Canadian courtroom. So yeah, this is going to be the first time that, um, similar to like a battered woman syndrome, is used in a Canadian courtroom as a defense. Interesting. Okay. Angelina was born on March 12th, 1882, and grew up on a farm north of Naples in Italy near the small town of Caserta. Now, if I'm saying any of these wrong, it's because I don't speak Italian. She's not worldly. I'm not. It's I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm just not. <laughs> Not much is known about Angelina's life before her marriage to her husband, Pietro Napolitano, in 18, uh, 1989. Sorry, um, not even her maiden name is known. She was only 16 years old when they were married. <laughs> okay, I was doing that math. I was like, that seemed very quick after her birth year. Yeah, she was 16 when she married Pietro. And um, so shortly after 1901, two years after they got married... The couple decided to join the growing wave of Italian immigrants that were heading towards the United States with promises of higher wages, affordable land, and political freedom. Um, so the couple had dreams of starting a family in North America and, like, living that American dream, basically. I was going to say that North American dream. <laughs> exactly. That's They had their sights set on it, so they headed... Uh, I'm assuming aboard a ship with a bunch of other Italian immigrants and headed to the U.S. <laughs> okay. They arrived in New York City in, and they settled in one of its growing immigrant neighborhoods. The couple lived in New York for seven years before they decided to move to a town near Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario called Thessalon. Sounds medieval. After a year in Thessalon, the couple and their now four young children moved into what was known as Little Italy in Sault Ste. Marie's West End. So they end up oh, in okay. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, um, in like an Italian immigrant neighborhood community, if you will, in the West End, um, not a small town. And um, they have four young children. Okay. Uh, they moved here in 1909, uh, 1909 sorry. The couple's four children were all born in North America. Their eldest, Michael, was born in 1904. Daughter, Amelia, was born in 1905. Raffaella in 1906. And their youngest son, Pietro, in 1908. Okay. That's a lot of years of being pregnant back to back. It is. Uh, pretty common Ooh. for the time, though. I know. Just four seems like a lot. In birth control, we trust. Katie just puts a peace sign up. Sault Ste. Marie is the third largest city in Northern Ontario after Sudbury and Thunder Bay. It's located on the St. Mary's River on the Canada-U.S. border. Uh, to the southwest across the river is the U.S. and the Michigan City with the same name. I think this is what I was talking about like last week or oh, the week before when oh I said God. I was researching a case that had, a, you know, city. I think it was connection. Last week. To and like I was a, just so confused yeah. as to how they could be named the same thing because I'm an idiot. Like yeah. Vancouver. We already covered it. Yeah. We already covered um, it. Anyway, this is I what feel, I was talking about. I think we drove though. through both those places. Like Sault Ste. Marie and Thunder Bay. Yeah, so Su it sounds like Sault Ste. Marie has an Ontario side and a Michigan side. Mm-hmm. Just like the Vancouver. Exactly. <laughs> now I know. The two cities are joined by the Sault Ste. Marie International Bridge, which connects Interstate 75 on the Michigan side, and Huron Street, which was formerly Ontario Secondary Highway 550B. It's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Sault Ste. Marie sits on the traditional territory of the Ojibwe and was founded as a single settlement in 1668. It was divided by the establishment of the Canada-U.S. border in 1817. 
And the Ojibwe call the area Bawating, meaning place of the rapids, and they value it for its access to the upper Great Lakes um, and as a source of abundant white fish and maple sugar. Oh. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. It's really pretty. It is really pretty. Like what they call it. I yeah. know. In 2021, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario had a population of 72,000 people. It was incorporated as a town in 1887 and as a city in 1912. Jeez, okay. Yeah. So after the couple settled in Sault Ste. Marie with their four children, Petro picked up work as a laborer and eventually secured a job on the night shift at the Algoma Steel Plant, which at the time was producing rails for the country's um, network of railroads, which was really expanding at the time. Oh, yeah. Although I'm laughing because at first I thought you meant the youngest child got a job. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? The job, I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> What no, a tradesman. Petro Sr., not Petro Jr. Okay, 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 okay. Which, on that <laughs> note, I also thought it was really interesting that they called their youngest child Petro because, like, yeah. typically you see, like, a junior as the first child, but maybe Does they the just oldest, ran out of like, names that qualify? they liked. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just weren't quite good enough to or be that. a junior. I mean, I'm, there's nothing wrong. There's no rules. It's just unusual to me. Like, what, he pop out and they go, mm, nope, can't carry the family Petro. name like this. <laughs> Uh, who knows? So even with this secure work, though, my voice just cracked. What was that? Even though. Even with the secure work uh, with the plant, Petro was struggling to earn enough money to provide for the family and basically build his dream, which was building them a home um, for the family. Okay. He was starting to get jealous of other families' money and comfortable lifestyle that he was seeing, which I just got to say, don't judge a book by its cover. And Instagram versus reality, guys. Uh, exactly. It still exists in the real world, even without Instagram. You never know what's going on in somebody's actual life. Old-timey versus reality. I know. But yeah, so he's getting jealous of kind of like what he is seeing as appearing as like other families' money, comfortable lifestyle. He wants, you know, this picture-perfect life for himself in North America. And he starts to get pretty miserable at home as a result of this. And he took it out on Angelina. Um, yes, he did. Honestly, though, in the most bizarre way, in my opinion. So he started drinking really heavily and began basically like harassing her, saying that she needed to bring in money through sex work. So he was trying to get her to supplement his income by selling herself, which I just found so interesting. I mean, I have Awful, terrible, heard of horrible. it happen. Really? Yeah. It's not out of the question. Like no, it's not. The family it just, also like, needs money. I just felt I have heard of an abusive husband. That's awful. It, for lack of better terms, pimping out his wife. And I say it that way because he is doing that. He's doing that horrible thing where he's forcing someone to go out and make him money and hand it back over to him and abuse them. Yeah, 100%. And so, like, she was a bad bitch. She refused. She was like, absolutely not. Girl. And even, like, despite his escalating physical threats towards her, she was like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to. You can't make me. Hell no. Nah. In November of 1910, Petro, like, randomly abruptly left the family home and left town. And Angelina kind of assumed he had just, like, had enough and left the family. Because, again, there's, like, no cell phones. You can't text him and be, be like, where did you go? It's like, she's just like, Smoke huh. signals. He's been gone where for a while. You? He must have just left. Yeah, I guess we're divorced now. Yeah, so she brings in, like, a boarder kind of thing, somebody to live in the home with her and pay rent believing that her husband had abandoned them and this man moves in and they start up a relationship his name was nish okay so Nish. nish is living there him and angelina are in a relationship and then weeks later petro comes home he returns to the house so nish promptly leaves and Angelina resumed her relationship with her husband, Petro. Um, but you can imagine that it was 
pretty tense. volatile and yeah. not great for her. Uh, yeah. So he demands again that she turn to sex work to bring the family extra money in, and she refused. She's trying to humiliate her, too. Yeah, and so this time she had, like, had enough and said, absolutely not, and also, I do not want to be married to you anymore. Like, I'm (gasps) over this. Girl. Yeah. So this sent Petro into a rage. He flew off the handle and stabbed Angelina nine times with a pocket knife in the face neck shoulder chest and arms like brutally attacked her her face was disfigured and she spent the next three weeks recovering from her injuries in the hospital oh she survives she survives this attack yeah but um she has to recover in the hospital for three weeks and he like literally disfigured her face also like a pocket knife that's like big enough to like really hurt and fuck up shit in your head and your face Mm -hmm. but like also not big enough to like kill you right away yeah i mean i guess you're gonna just be artery maybe suffering yeah Yeah. Yeah. that poor person yeah woman nine times that's a lot of times fucking asshole um Petro is arrested for this incident and pled guilty to wounding his wife with intent to maim the judge in the case accepted that he was provoked by Angelina's affair and handed down a suspended sentence, reasoning that it was better to keep the family's breadwinner out of jail than to lock him up. So he got no jail time for this. He's just allowed to go back home where she is. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Because that makes sense. Okay. Who's 19? Like, I know, happen. right? Yeah, but I'm it's try just to so frustrating. Time, but it's yeah, I and agree. we're and we're gonna we're gonna talk about in a little bit that we say you know it was 1909, but has it changed that much today, especially in the courtroom? Not really. Also, I just want to make a quick note that you have become an excessive hand talker since you got those new nails put on. You're like, honestly, I already was an excessive hand talker, so it can't be any better now that I am feeling myself with these nails. Better wasn't the word I used. No, no <laughs> just, just, it's out of control. It is. One time Good I was time. training a class like on Zoom and I was hand, I don't know if I already told this story on the podcast, but I was hand talking so hard. This is like two months ago that I knocked my water bottle right off my desk. That doesn't shock me. Because <laughs> you used to hit stuff all the time when we started recording. Yep. So, okay, Petro is sent back home. He's given a suspended sentence because apparently he's the family's breadwinner, even though he's trying to get his wife to sell herself when she doesn't want to. So that's a whole nother topic. But the same winter that he is released back to the home, his abuse and harassment um, of Angelina continued to get way worse He continued to demand that she earn money with her body, even going as far at this point as he would, like, send customers to the house for her when he was gone. So she would just, like, be at home and men would show up. You know, washing dishes and this guy knocks on the door and be like, hey, I'm here to fuck you. Yeah. She never (gasps) opened the door for any of them. That's so messed up. I know. I made an appointment with your husband to have sex with you. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's not something that I considered as being common. So hearing you say that it's like more common than I think is even more fucked. I've definitely heard of men forcing their spouses to become a sex worker. Right. Yeah. Which is, I, I mean, essentially what he's trying to do here. Yeah. Which again... We are not saying there's anything wrong with sex work, but it should be, like, consensual, and you should want to do it. Yeah, there's still a lot of respect, and you still have human rights. Yeah. It's no different from any other job. You should. Yep. Mm -hmm. On Easter Sunday, uh, so this is an Easter episode, which is why I chose it for this week specifically. Well, I kind of planned it that way. (laughs) On Easter oh, Sunday, you did. Yeah. On Easter Sunday, the morning of April 16th, 1911, after coming home from another night shift, 
Petro once again demanded that Angelina start selling her body to make them extra money. This time, though, he told her if she refused, he would throw her out of the house and then kill her for abandoning abandoning the family if she didn't earn any money that day. At the time, she was six months pregnant. Yeah. So now he is coming home and saying, if you do not make money today, I'm going to kill you. Coming home in the morning because he works a night shift and she is now six months pregnant. So she's just like taking, gotten up, taking care of the kids all morning, got them fed, super pregnant herself. And he's just like, okay, now you leave. You go work. And if you don't, when and I wake up from my sleep, for that child. I'm going to kill you either. and our unborn child. And yeah. Well, it's so dangerous back then, considering like healthcare and what was sexually transmitted and all the things we didn't know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's just like asking for that baby to be killed, too. Yep. Just putting your wife and your child in danger, especially, again, doing something she doesn't want to do and she's saying no. And then threatening her life. So at this point, Petro is like, I'm going to sleep. And if you don't, if you, if I wake up and you haven't made a dime, I'm going to beat you and kill you and your unborn child and then he climbs up the stairs to their bedroom and goes to sleep so angelina sits on this for about an hour she's i'm sure trying to figure out what the hell she's gonna do about this situation this guy's a monster she doesn't want to be married to him anyways but they have four kids and she's pregnant and now he's threatening her life protect her kids yeah she has to protect herself and her kids so she decides that she quote could not stand this trouble any longer um she was pretty like adept at using an axe to split wood for her cook stove this is a skill that many women during this time period had so mm-hmm. she grabbed an axe and you have decided. To make all the time. Mm-hmm, she decided that this time was the last time. Angelina climbed up the stairs to the bedroom with the axe, where she found Petra asleep. She brought the axe down on his head and neck four times. The first stroke got his skull. However, she brought it down three more times to make sure that the job was finished. I mean, I don't. I don't condone violence over divorce, man or woman. That being said, I think that we need to give more value to a slow buildup of that feeling like someone's going to kill you rather than it just being an immediate danger moment. No, for sure. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I thought we might, but I just... No, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Angelina returned the bloodstained axe back to the woodshed, cuddled her youngest daughter for an hour, and then went over to a neighbor's to confess, saying, quote, I just killed a pig. Like, yeah, she was over this guy's shit. And like I just said, de- like defending herself. Um, and, but, you know, yeah, because she was just becoming a source of income and a burden to him. Yeah, she I don't think that she knew what else to do at this point. She's expressed that she doesn't want to be married to him and he's threatened her life. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, so she said at the time she felt more relief than she did remorse and she waited for police to arrive. When they did, she was arrested and charged with murder. And at the time, murder carried a capital punishment of hanging. I thought so. Yeah. Angelina Napolitano's murder trial for the death of her husband, Petro, started three weeks later on May 9th, uh, May 8th, sorry, 1911 in Sault Ste. Marie. This ended up being one of the biggest and like most baddest. One of the cases that really first got like widespread international attention. Wow, 1911. Mm hmm. Angelina stood before an all-male jury, and she was seven months pregnant at the time. She would become the first woman to bring any kind of battered woman defense on a murder charge to a Canadian courtroom, and the first to bring domestic abuse to national awareness. A bad bitch. Bad-est. Yeah, she is such a bad bitch. In the best way possible. 
to think about like all the conversations she started or balls she got rolling mm-hmm. is just crazy. It's it's amazing. It's crazy. Justice Byron Moffat Britton was the presiding judge and crown attorney was Edmund Meredith. On the first day of trial, it was discovered that Angelina did not have a defense attorney. Uh, because of okay. this, the trial was adjourned for one day, and she was appointed a fen- uh, defense attorney, Uriah McFadden, who was given a single day to prepare the case. I was going to say, and he prepared for this trial how? In one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The okay. trial, Yeah. The trial resumed on May 9th. Crown attorney Edmund Meredith called nine witnesses to testify in Angelina's guilt. The only witness to uh, that the defense called was Angelina herself. She told the jury in a thick Italian accent that she killed her husband to protect her virtue and her children. Uh, defense attorney Uriah McFadden's case rested solely on what was essentially a battered women's defense ahead of its time. For he sure ar- it was. Yeah, super ahead of its time. Uh, he argued that Petra's abuse had forced Angelina, who was desperate, to murder him. I mean, she he he did force her, in a sense. Mm-hmm. If she felt that was her only option, or only way out, then yep. that's what she had to do. Yeah. So, McFadden also cited the November incident when Petro had viciously stabbed Angelina nine times, landing her in the hospital. Justice Britton scoffed at this defense and ruled the November incident inadmissible. He said, quote, if anybody injured six months ago could give could give that as a justification or excuse for slaying a person, it would be anarchy complete. He also said that a sleeping husband could not have provoked his wife. And this reminded me of an argument that we have heard as recent as 2019 in a Canadian courtroom in domestic Uh violence cases, um, specifically with Helen Nasland, when the judge said that uh, because whatever his name was, I don't even remember because he's irrelevant. He was defenseless because he was asleep. Yeah. So when when we say things like, you know, it was 1909, like, was it? Because 2019 was in 1909. Yeah, this is all very relevant. We still. just have so much. This case, like, really threw it in my face how much further we have to go and, like, how sad it is that we haven't progressed further, much further than this. Oh, I you know? agree. It's... I. Over a hundred years later. You kind of later. joked at the beginning when I was like, oh, it's so long ago. So much has changed. You were like, uh. Yeah, like, has it? I don't know. It's embarrassing to It's say a little bit embarrassing. It's pretty sad, too, that I feel like embarrassing is the most common word I use <laughs> tied to our criminal justice system. Sometimes. Testimony in Angelina's trial lasted only three hours. In his instruction to the jury, Judge Britton stressed that Petro was asleep at the time of his murder and presented no immediate threat to his wife, who was at perfect liberty to leave. Sorry about my phone noise. But, like, where is she going to go? Right. With four children. At perfect liberty to leave? Six like, was pregnant. she? I know. The legal principle of immediate threat was a key issue in the 1990 court case R.V. Lavely that ultimately established battered wife syndrome syndrome as a defense in Canada. Um, And it meant that women who fought back and killed their abusers could be acquitted of the crime. But immediate threat was like a key component of that decision, which like that decision has been changed and evolved since that 1990 decision. But that was the like original battered wife syndrome this reminds me a lot of the george floyd trial how it was all about what was the immediate threat what was the immediate danger you experienced like so it's so crazy how we can spin this terminology to support or defend whatever anyone needs as well it's like let's do what's right for victims yeah yeah 
Yeah, immediate threat is definitely an interesting one. It's like, and how do you, how do you tell like, somebody what is an immediate threat to them and what isn't? Like, who makes that judgment like call? Right. Yeah, like, who are you to say that they didn't feel that way? Mm-hmm. There's just, especially in domestic violence cases, there's so many layers, and I think that those layers don't often get taken into account. Like, we just have so much further to go still. Um, yeah. It's like an onion. There's layers. Just peel back those layers. The jury quickly returned a verdict of guilty. However, they recommended to the judge that they use leniency when determining sentencing. I actually read a couple of different versions of this. Like, basically, one version says that they recommend the judge use leniency. And another version says, like, they returned a verdict of guilty, but they recommended to the judge that she just be not given any jail time. So I don't know which of those is accurate. I just know that the jury was hoping for like the absolute least amount of sentencing that well, she could like get. Well, it's like the same argument. Like just like that household in the government's eyes needed a breadwinner. Those children need a mother. Mm-hmm. That home needs a homemaker still. Yeah. So like AKA they at least recommend that she doesn't get hanged at the bare minimum. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. So I've, this is what I had next. I've seen some references say that they recommended clemency, which is essentially just like get off. Um, and then some say they recommended leniency. But either way, they definitely didn't want hanging. Regardless of the jury recommendation, however, the judge sentenced her to hanging and noted no. that mm-hmm, because Angelina was seven months pregnant, she would not be hanged until after she gave birth. How kind. Oh, great. So we're going to make another child have no mother. Yeah. Like how nice of you. Great. Mm-hmm. Angelina was 28 years old at the time, and her execution date was set for August 9th, 1911, which was one month after her due date. (laughs) The outcry across the country and the world in this case was to date one of the most massive reaching stories in Canadian crime history. Shocking. The world was upset that you wanted to hang an eight-month pregnant abused woman i'm not shocked this case opened up so many conversations that had never happened before amongst like the international community and even just like the nation and it was huge i don't know how it could not Mm -hmm. petitions began pouring into the federal justice minister sir alan bristol aylesworth demanding clemency for Angelina from across Canada, the U.S., and Europe, especially in Britain. (coughs) More than 100,000 people added their names to a petition and letters calling for her clemency. Uh, The federal justice minister Aylesworth was taken aback by the level of support and called Angelina an admitted murderess who, quote, chopped the head of a man to pieces while he was asleep. Okay, that really, like, villainizes her. Mm, Yeah, I mean, that's... Oh, God. Yeah. He also said that the agitation the newspapers have worked up in the case seemed to him the most uncalled-for thing he had ever seen. Yeah, so... Sentencing that woman to hanging might have been the most uncalled-for thing I've ever seen. Yeah, but, I mean, remember, we're at a time where, like, hanging is standard in a murder case, and to them, like, all they can see is (laughs) she she murdered somebody and chopped his head off, and it's just so, yeah, it's so ridiculous, so... And I guess back then, if you're already, like, 20, 25 years, it's like, that is death. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So I don't know like, what the life expectancy okay. was in 1911, but I don't think it was the same it as was it is great. today. No. Uh, so the media firestorm was originally fueled by a like sympathetic reporting of the case by American Wire service correspondent Honor D. Fanning, who interviewed Angelina in prison and wrote about her knitting baby clothes for her unborn child. Oh. Fanning also tracked down Angelina's other children and had one write a letter to his mother in prison. Um, So the eldest, Michael, who was seven at the time, 
wrote a letter saying, I hope you will come home to us soon. Amelia will take good care of us, but we all want you. We are lonesome every night without you. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this writer Her really pulled at everyone's heartstrings. Yeah, they wanted that front page story. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, rightfully so. And it, it worked. It got huge attention. Once the story was out, women's groups, suffragettes, and church organizations spearheaded a campaign which enlisted the political support from a handful of U.S. governors, including Tennessee Governor Ben W. Hooper, who declared, quote, if I have understood, uh, if I have correctly understood the facts, the woman ought not to be hanged. I love the word ought. I also wish people still spoke like that. Why can't we bring up back the word ought? We've got it. Well, that if we can bring it. back low-rise flared jeans, we can bring back ought. I think I'm I'm just glad the fanny pack finally came back. I'm honestly so irritated that Uggs came back only because I like just got rid of my really cute short Uggs a couple years ago. You never get rid of Uggs. I know. And I never, I've had them for like 12 years. And I was like, you know, I was moving and I was like, you know what? I probably won't wear these ever again. And like, fucked up. Got if rid you of had them. asked me, I would have said, put those in a box. They were like the cute short ones, too. I know. They're the shorties. You know I what have, ones I'm talking about because I used to wear them all yeah. the time. I have a pair of the original talls in camel, like the original, original that my grandparents got me in high school. Dude, they're probably so worth I've had money. them for like 16 years. I wonder what they're worth. Is it like Beanie and, Babies? I don't know. They have hole, a hole oh. in the back. Like a tiny hole in the back of each of them. Yeah. But not like yours where they're like blue open. Rear original ones with the yeah. flower on them. Mm-hmm. And the back was just like... Bleh! Yeah, those are the ones I'm talking about though because we got them stitched. Yeah, they got fixed. Yeah, we stitched them. And then I had the audacity to get rid of them. dad get them fixed? Yes, because he originally bought them for me. I might still have them. I just can't find them. Maybe I need to look harder. It's possible you I didn't get rid of those. need to look harder. Anyway, that's why I'm irritated because I can't find my Uggs and now they're back in style. So that's the, that's, mm. I would say that's the biggest problem in my life, but that's what <laughs> we we're going with. We all know it's not. That's what we're going with. Anyways, uh, so for reference though, I didn't know what a suffragette was. Uh, a suffragette is a person who was a member of an activist women's organization in the early 20th, 20th century who, uh, under the banner Votes for Women, fought for the right to vote in public elections in the UK. Oh, jeez. So basically just a group of bad bitches. Yeah, I had recently listened to oh, a suffragette crimes crime. episode of Wine and Crime. Oh, cool. And I had kind of understood the concept, but then honestly, by time, because they tell two cases after they do the psych portion, I was just, I was just into the cases. That's fair. (laughs) Forgot all about it. So I appreciate the refresher. You're welcome. One letter addressed to the Minister of Justice by... Uh, Louise Somerville of Preston, England, said, quote, the taking of a corrupt life of her wicked husband was not even murder. The world needs such heroines to lift it out of the foul rut in which it lies today. If they only knew. Preach. Dr. Alexander Alto from Cleveland, Ohio, wrote to the justice minister that he was offering to take Angelina's place on death row, saying, quote, it would only be fair to Mrs. Napolitano for a man to give his life for her inasmuch as her life is in peril on account of a man's persecution of her and because men condemned her. Aww. Mr. Alexander Alto was ahead of his time. He Just gotta was. Say. He was ahead of his time. We love him. Keeper. Mm-hmm. It's important to note that, like, I'm kind of only covering the the comments that were in support of Angelina. We know when a case or anything gets this kind of attention that uh, all the comments come from all different angles. So they're a mixed bag. They're a mixed bag. So some of the comments in support of her were more informed by the like sexual and racial politics of early feminism which included uh, like stereotypes of foreign men as predisposed to violence and like deviant sexual behavior okay 
uh, and foreign women is especially victimized. So there's basically just like a kind of a stigmatism or a stereotype back then that foreign men were dangerous and violent. And so some of the comments that came in support of her were kind of more that direction. Uh I get what you mean. Because British and American feminists had already participated in suffrage activism and had sharpened their political voice and like or like they'd already done this before. Outside support was actually a lot louder for Angelina than any Canadian feminist support. Um, Canada was a little bit behind in the times of women's activism at this time. And I'm not shocked. Canadian feminists were more, like, reserved in their support. As an example, Dr. Helen McMurphy, who was personal friends with the Justice Minister Aylesworth, told him to consider the commutation because the case had caused such an uproar among working women and socialists. So, like, not do it because it's the right thing to do. Do (laughs) Do it because people are mad and we should shut them up. It's just like a different kind of support, you know? Huh. Almost like someone was like, go make it right. Or like, yeah, people are pissed. Maybe we should like lay our our torch down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should fold kind of thing. Not not like not let's do it because it's yeah, pretty much Uh, the British journal Common Cause in comparison uh, was amongst the feminist voices that were really in support of her and decried the masculine court for not recognizing that the beatings of Angelina had constituted sufficient provocation and that she had acted in self-defense. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of the coverage, of course, was in support of Angelina. Some of it was also negative, arguing from some racist stereotypes that as an Italian woman, she was a hot-blooded foreigner who deserved to oh pay for what she did, deserved to pay the penalty for her crime. Um, another argued that she deserved to die because she was immoral, referencing the fact that for a short period of time when Petro was out of town, she had been un- quote unquote unfaithful. Um, so there was a lot of like yeah, hate her towards her, her with- basically saying that she deserved it. Okay. So that's awful. Some other arguments presented in the letters also included the idea that uh, Angelina must not be guilty because her pregnancy made her temporarily insane and the argument that her fear of her impending doom would adversely adversely, affect her unborn baby, therefore she should be pardoned. This was a really common psychological view at the time regarding pregnant women that like basically it made you... I would love to Next. say that's the reason, but girl, community, that's not true. <laughs> no, no. There's a lot of hormones going on, but she doesn't get pregnant and turn into a psycho killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Canadian government eventually folded to the public pr- pressure, and on July 14th, 1911, Angelina's sentence was commuted from the death sentence to life in prison. She gave birth in prison. However, her baby died two weeks later. Sad. I'm not sure why other than, you know, I assume that Kingston Penitentiary or wherever she was being held didn't have the best facilities for birthing and keeping a new baby healthy. Mortality rates were a lot higher in newborns in the early 1900s. So it could have been a myriad of reasons. I think she actually gave birth in like the jail close to Sault Ste. Marie and then she was sent to King- Kingston Penn after that. Um okay. Kingston like Penitentiary a bigger medical. Kingston Penn was almost a thousand kilometers from her children though. Um and she tried it, it there's records that she tried to contact them in their foster homes, but there's no record that she ever saw one of her children again. Which is oh so my sad. God. Mm-hmm. out of five of them like i know one's passed away but mm-hmm. like to never see any of your children again oh my god yeah just like That'd honestly be so because sad. you were trying to save them yeah and you got made out to be the monster yeah she was released 11 years later on parole on december 30th of 1922 at the age of 39 
It was said that Angelina was a model prisoner, and after her release, she worked as a live-in maid for the Nickel family in Kingston, Ontario, until her death on September 4th, 1932 at Hotel DU Hospital in Frontenac County, Ontario, which is near Kingston. Um, from what I can find, she died of septic peritonitis following two operations at the hospital. So, peritonitis, yeah. Yeah. At the time of her death, she was still working for and living with the Nickel family who lived at 155 Earl Street and were very prominent in legal circles. Angelina Napolitano is buried in St. Mary's Cemetery, which is a women's Catholic cemetery in Kingston. Shocker, St. Mary's. (laughs) Yeah. In 2005, the story of Angelina's marriage and dramatic trial and aftermath was turned into an award-winning independent film looking for Angelina. That's cool. Oh. Be interesting to watch, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Now, Angelina's court case reminded me so much of a case that we have covered on the show and talked about more than once. Helen Nasland, of course, which we already talked about once this episode, but I'm going to bring it up again. Um, Helen killed her husband, Miles, in his sleep after a lifetime of suffering at the hands of him. Following 27 years of consistent abuse, Helen shot her husband and hid the body near their family farm with the assistance of one of her sons. She pled guilty to manslaughter six years later and was sentenced to 18 years, which is literally outrageous for a manslaughter charge. Outrageous. Like manslaughter is usually 10 years. Maximum. 18 years. Maybe 12 if it's kind of violent. Honestly, in Canada, 18 years is high for a second degree murder charge if you're found guilty. That's like an average sentence for second degree murder. Yeah. So manslaughter, come on. The trial judge in the original trial called the killing a, quote, callous, cowardly act on a vulnerable victim, which is very reminiscent of the same sentiment that we heard in this 1911 sorry, trial of Angelina. Helen launched an appeal of the decision in 2021 in the Alberta Court of Appeal. Justice Sheila Greckel called the original 18-year sentence unduly harsh because it failed to take into account the abuse of marriage. She said, quote, it is beyond time for this court to explicitly recognize that cases of battered women killing abusive partners involve unique circumstances that must be considered by the sentencing judge, particularly where battered women's syndrome is involved. The appeal uh, court. Great. Yeah. The appeal court slashed Helen's sentence in half, reducing it to only nine years. Um, and Helen was supposed to have been starting day parole early this year. It's just wild to me how similar the case and the court case was to something over a hundred years ago. Just goes to show that nothing changes. <laughs> and that sucks because it should. We're uh, we're supposed to evolve. I mean, that's the goal, right? I'm like we're going the wrong way. I'm just frustrated. Be anyway. better. Looking at some of the statistics around domestic violence in Canada, we can see that in 2019, according to Stats Canada, 144 women were murdered. 47% of those, so 68 women, died at the hands of their intimate partner. That same year, 486 men were murdered and only 29 of them were killed by an intimate partner. This data is complicated because Statistics Canada doesn't break out same-sex relationships, so it's unclear, like, how many of these men... domestic abuse numbers are fucked. Yeah, it's like, we can't, we don't actually know how many... Like, unless you're a heterosexual, like, cyst couple, Mm -hmm. you don't qualify under couple numbers. Yeah, so it's kind of, like, skewed data, it's not... It's hard to take it seriously, if you will. Um, but still, I mean, it's it's not like a it's not a secret that women are killed by their partners more than men. Agreed. A 2003 study using Statistics Canada data suggests that in 66% of cases where a woman 
woman killed her male partner and argument was the precipitating factor. In 65% of cases, domestic violence was a prior factor. And in 41% of cases, the victim, so the man, was the first to use violence. Elizabeth Sheehy, who is a law professor at the University of Ottawa, put it pretty bluntly. And she said, women who kill are usually pretty desperate and absolutely endangered. I think endangered is the best word. Yeah. Because you back an animal into a corner and then it attacks and then you get mad at the animal for attacking. Yep. And it's it's always a final straw, right? It's it's not like this hasn't been going on for a week. This person has been, probably been enduring like long line of Years abuse of and finally like got up the courage and that was them being courageous. Mm-hmm. and standing up for themselves. It was just her sticking up for... I was just going to say, she stuck up for herself. Mm-hmm. That's my case. That's that is the 1911 trial of Angelina Napolitano. It really started the conversation of domestic violence as a defense in Canada. Um, as we can see, prior to that, it wasn't even on anyone's radar. And I've never was, heard of this. I know. Neither had I, and I was shocked that I didn't. I had never heard of this case. I really thought that I would have for some reason, but um, well, because it was like a precedence case, kind of like I just thought. Yeah. It- anyway, I thought it was so interesting. I had to tell it, and then when I found out it was on Easter, I was like, "Well, I need an Duh. Easter episode, anyways, so I might as well write it, and then I'll I'll save it for the week of Easter." Um, but yeah, that's that's it. I don't have much more. I hope. You learned something. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you don't already, give us a follow. Instagram at Podcast by Proxy. TikTok, Twitter. Yeah, a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. I just about forgot what I was trying to say. I'm just like a space case right now. But I hope everyone in Canada, it was a long weekend. Is it Easter everywhere? I don't. Stat holidays are different everywhere. I don't know. Wherever you happy are, Easter in Canada. Happy Easter or long weekend, whatever you celebrate, whatever you observe. Happy weekend. You do you guys. Have a great um, time. Yeah, and uh, we will absolutely see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.